Coffee and Cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Yeah, it's funny, like, I remember when I was a freshman, I used to think the seniors were so old, and I mean, I'm sure he looks at me like I'm real old because I'm 23, he's 18, but I, as you get older, I kind of don't even really view age on the team, so I, I kind of just assume these freshmen are the same age as me. I sometimes forget that, but uh, yeah, he. He acts like a freshman a little bit, but he's pretty mature for his age, and I enjoy working with him and spending time with the freshmen. And really, most of the freshmen I'm around, I've noticed kind of the same thing. They've kind of noticed they need to mature and be ready because we're not slowing down for anyone. They're, they got to catch up. That's Brian Buscini over at Fall Camp. Coffee and Cream back with you, 590 ESPN Radio. We're live on Twitter, live on YouTube. Appreciate having you with us. Uh, you can get involved via the comments section on the YouTube page. You can also give us a call, 888-638-4876. At this time, let's welcome in Brandon Vogel, our first guest of the day. Vogues, we're actually out live at the Pinnacle Bank Championship this week, so that's why you see some new scenery uh, and a new backdrop, although you get the uh, you get the Herd at Sports Pavilion behind us. You don't actually get the golf course, unfortunately, so you don't get the best view but where we're looking we get the whole course but it's great to see you good to see you uh, and you know a little bit of sunlight's always good uh, <laughs> yeah. that's that's kind of my issue here in this in this office but glad for you guys you don't have any lamps down to help you tan or anything like that no i should probably i should probably look into that though i probably am vitamin <laughs> d deficient <laughs> Vogues, we, we just got done talking a little bit about the special teams unit uh, who we heard from at fall camp yesterday and, you know, Robbie said something that had me thinking about the competition between Timmy Bleakroad and Tristan Alvano. How much do you think that the way they kind of talk about it, the way you heard Bleakroad talk about it and not take anything very personally, how much do you think that has to do with him and just the way that he um, goes about his business himself versus the culture that has been set up at Nebraska for him to say the things that he said yesterday? Yeah, good, uh, good question. I think I think it's probably mostly Bleak Road and just the the type of person he is. You know, he's a little bit more experienced. Obviously, a, a transfer um, who who came up from the FCS ranks. I think that all kind of factors in here. But I do I do think you have to give a share of the credit for that to just just a, a culture of of actual competition. Now, every coach in the country is going to say that they want that. But, you know, it can become tough to navigate. Like, I look at it from afar and be like, Bleak Road really couldn't have had a much better season statistically than he had last year. I don't think he missed – oh, he had one extra point blocked, and I think he missed one or two field goals. Um, so to have a, 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 a true freshman come in and, and challenge for that um, would be would be difficult. But he, he seems to be, to be beating it head on so far. So a lot of credit to him for that. Brandon, I want to stay on the kind of competition side of things. It seems like there's more positions open or up for grabs than there have been in recent memory. And having healthy competition at those spots is obviously part of that. Just from what you've seen so far in spring and fall camp compared to more recent years, is it a matter of, hey, we just have a new coach. He's looking at everything with new eyes and new systems in mind and everything like that. Or is there more, hey, there's a smaller gap between the ones and the twos than there used to be? Yeah, um, 
I think I tend to default toward default a little bit, at least towards a new coaching staff. So anytime that's going to be, you know, you have that scenario, uh, the two deep kind of gets a little murkier, but I think this one sort of like with, we were just talking with bleak road. Okay. Maybe that's kind of the situation naturally, but then what this coaching staff has come in and what they've talked about and what they've done has only like, added to that piece of it and and what i what i mean there is you know when rule and his coaches talk about hey we 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 came in and we saw these these guys maybe guys who haven't played a ton or you know only showed it in flashes and they're like that's a really good player i mean to hear rule on i think it was on saturday talk about isaac gifford Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of like lit up my brain in a way that I was like, why didn't, why didn't I feel this way? You know, three, four years ago when he was coming out of Lincoln Southeast, his brother was a captain, um, extremely athletic. Uh, so yeah, it kind of makes sense that Isaac Gifford would be extremely athletic, uh, probably have some pretty good leadership traits and Matt rule call him. He's like, that's, he's an NFL player. Um, but you know, Gifford Gifford didn't get an offer from Nebraska until relatively late in that in that process. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that that I think add to this a little bit of coaching staff. Yeah, you're going to open things up and give everybody kind of a clean slate when you're when you're new. But they also, I think, take a lot of pride in kind of looking for those those uncovered gems or or players who maybe have a specific skill that we haven't really seen used to this point. We're talking to Brandon Vogel, managing editor at Hale Varsity, at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Vogues, uh, this staff, this team lives in the present. Uh, You heard Matt Rule say it a couple days ago, see people for who they are, not what they could be. Then you heard Evan Cooper yesterday say, if you look too far ahead, it can get overwhelming. How How much does this show that this staff and this team really lives for today that they don't uh, that they that they don't have any skip days and aren't worried about what's to come but worried about right now yeah I mean they they, they keep saying it and, and if you're really about like that outlook you kind of have to keep saying it <laughs> you know uh, you you kind of if you're a fan or a media member who who consumes all of these comments like you almost have to get tired of it because if you're really gonna be about that um, you've got to, you got to start every day thinking that way. And, you know, I think it's become, I think it's one of the missing ingredients at Nebraska. When you look at the, maybe the past 10, 15 years, certainly the last 10 of there's, there's so much that you're afforded uh, if you're a Nebraska football player or coach based on its history of success. And that's great. Um, But you, it becomes pretty easy, I think, to, feel like uh, maybe you've earned more than you have. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. that goes back to something Rule said earlier in camp, too, where he was just like, you know, they don't give you the wins. We can give you a brand new facility, all of that stuff. Uh, they don't give you the wins. And it, it's hard at a place like Nebraska to keep sight of that, I think, as, as simple as it sounds. Um, so for this coaching staff to continually hammer that point home, I mean, all fall camp we've heard, and we're going to continue to hear it until the end of August, like, Hey, we're just trying to earn the right to feel confident going to Minnesota. It's uh it's not a it's not a you know novel approach in the broad spectrum of college football, but it feels pretty new at Nebraska to me. Brandon, I want to switch gears on you here a little bit with something I've been thinking about 
uh, quite a lot. Um, I, I think that the probably the biggest distinction between the one and the two on this team might be at the quarterback spot. Um, I, I understand there's other guys that are likely starters, but I think the gap might be biggest there. At the same time, I'm thinking about how uh, I believe they're going to want to try and get the QB run game going quite a bit. In, have you started to think about how they may, might try and balance putting Jeff Sims at risk versus understanding what the position looks like behind him? Yeah, I think they'll be pretty selective um, with with how they use Sims in the run game. We know that they want to. Um, we know that they'll have some things, but um, watching some South Carolina games recently um, from this past season with Spencer Rattler, you know, and Satterfield was obviously an offensive coordinator there. You know, Rattler was a guy who can, well, he is a guy who could hurt you with his, with his legs, but he wasn't, that's what, the, wasn't what they were asking him to do. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting something pretty similar for Sims. Um, you know, it, it feels a, a long time ago, but it was just in the spring where we, we kind of heard a lot of praise for, for Harburg and obviously, uh, extremely athletic can give you some of that run element. So, I, I still think maybe there's some ways that they'll utilize him with some specific stuff, but I think you're right, Robbie, like the, the drop from one to two at quarterback, um, when you talk about like everything's, you know, feels good and new and Nebraska's trending up without having played a game, when you look at potential like roadblocks or problems that could develop, I think that QB spot could be one if you're dealing with some injuries in some ways, like, the most under the radar, but probably important development that nobody's talking about is how far have, have Chubba Purdy and Heinrich Harbour mm-hmm. come uh, since since the spring? Because odds are you're you're going to need them. I mean, when's the last time Nebraska played an entire season with with one quarterback uh, starting all twelve games? It's <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, you might have to go all the way back to Taylor Martinez. Now, folks. You know, this is interesting because I I know I've done it before, and I know a lot of the fan base has done this too, but why from the very beginning do you think everybody, when they talked about Jeff Sims, talked about him as a dual-threat quarterback, a running quarterback, though? Like, that term was always used, always thrown out there. Yes, we've seen and we've heard from the coaching staff, like, hey – we're probably going to use his arm more than he's going to use his legs. It's a weapon. It's not there. But why still today do, do people not want to really like buy into that from the coaching staff? Why why are they kind of just still thinking, no, Jeff Sims is a running quarterback? Yeah, good question. Um, I think I think a lot of that. So Jeff Sims as a recruit was kind of like a big enough name that I think broadly, like, you know, college football fans knew about him. And it was a big, big deal that he went to Georgia Tech. That was, you know, he was a guy who had offers from Ohio State all, and the like. Um, so to end up at Georgia Tech, and then he did, you know, if you look at his numbers there, he did have a good amount of rushing yards, you know, I think over 300, 400, a couple of those seasons. Uh, but at Georgia Tech, because of him being one of the best recruits, I think they probably signed in the past 20 years or so, uh, he had to be a little bit of a dual threat. He was their main offensive threat for, for most of those seasons. So I think those two things combined kind of came in as, as a dual threat guy to the point where, you know, when Rule or, or maybe it was one of, maybe it was Satterfield started talking about 
him as a legitimate pro quarterback prospect, it's kind of like, I was like, yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought of Jeff Sims in that way. Um, and, you know, I didn't watch a ton of Georgia Tech, but definitely caught a handful of games over his three seasons there. So I think it's a little bit of that. Like, you know, people don't talk about his arm talent, but the coaches do. They talk about it quite a bit. Brandon, is there a position group where you don't have the answers yet, but you like the multiple choices that you have? Uh, you know, obviously wide receiver comes to mind in a place where you don't have a lot of answers necessarily. Um, the running back room don't necessarily know where you have a lot of answers. I think of the defensive line. Is there one of those groups where you're looking at, you're like, Hey, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I kind of like their chances based on the players involved. Interesting. Um, my gut reaction is, I don't know if there is for me because yeah. I, you know, my mind kind of went, to some of the spots you mentioned. The first one that came to mind was, was D-line. Like, I don't feel like I know exactly how that's going to piece together, but I can't quite say yet that I feel okay with, like, the talent available um, just because it, they're, they're really young there. Mm -hmm. um, and if you get a couple of those, those true freshmen to, like, show up and perform well, then okay. But I just I, – I, I have a hard time kind of putting that on true freshman right now. Um, sort of a little bit similar with, with wide receiver. Like you can, you can squint and see a way where it's like, okay, well, you know, Garcia Castaneda kind of picks up from where he was, you know, coming out of New Mexico, you get, you get some big plays and Xavier Betts, you know, feels like he's back on the trajectory he may have been on in his first season or two. Um, but it's just a, it's a lot of ifs that those two in particular, um, maybe running back, you know, I, I still don't feel like uh, I have a great sense of who's going to take the the sh bulk of those carries, but that's one where I kind of look at this, maybe the three top guys they have and think, yeah, you're probably going to be okay there. So if I had to pick one, it might be, it might be running back. Now, folks, you have me still thinking about um, when you were talking about earning the right to earning the right to win. Uh, and it had me thinking about those coach rule core philosophies. You know, we see it all the time with his players. They see it. Uh, the fans see it. The national media has, you know, drawn attention to it. But do you think other college football fans who once slotted Nebraska as an easy W on the schedule are a little concerned about everything they're hearing this offseason uh, from the national media and this new staff? Yeah, um, I think there probably is a little bit of concern there, whether or not they're, you know, taking note of, of what's coming out of camp or the offseason. It might be more just, I think Rule has a lot of respect in, in the college ranks in particular. And respect in the, the way of, you know, not like, not the, the up-and-comer, you know, G5 coach, which has become over the years kind of the traditional path to, to kind of power five. Uh, jobs, but uh, he's kind of a coach's coach. You know, it's one of those where it's just like, yeah, you know what? When we play a Matt Rule team, they're going to be really well prepared. Um, they're going to execute at a pretty high level. It's just not going to be fun. Um, and whether that's, you know, I think that's true. You kind of set that reputation when you're going one in 10 uh, at Temple, uh, when you're struggling in year one at Baylor. And that's, I think, 
if, if there are teams out there being like, uh, Nebraska's, Nebraska might be coming here finally <laughs> in, in the Big Ten, I think it goes back to those, those, those early seasons where you really set the stage for, yeah, we're going to be a tough out. Whether or not we're ready to be good right now, um, we're going to be a tough out, and you're not going to enjoy playing us. Brennan, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the conference realignment stuff that's been going on since you were here last week. Obviously, some of it impacts Nebraska directly with the Oregon and Washington move to the Big Ten, and then you've got the rest of the mass exodus uh, from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. As you kind of are watching this all play out and seeing the landscape of college football kind of reshaped again, I guess just what are your thoughts in terms of what maybe the end game is here? I mean, I, I don't think I have some some wild kind of outlook that's much different than the consensus or what seems to be the consensus of the Big Ten and the SEC are going to continue to basically amass power. Um, and what happens to everybody else, who knows? I mean, you look at the, the teams left in the Pac-12 uh, beyond next year, and it's like, yeah, who's who's going to – who's going to eventually snap up an Oregon state or a Washington state? What if nobody does? Um, and it's, it's just, it's, I was thinking about it this morning. So we're headed for an 18 team big 10, unless they, you know, continue to add more before, before 2024 for a long time, the associated press poll has been around since 1936 for a long time. It only ranked 20 teams. Like that's, almost Nebraska's conference now and <laughs> working on something for the magazine of, you know, uh, we had our staff kind of do 10 year projections of like uh, for all different sports in Nebraska. And it's, uh, do you think that this will happen in, in 10 years? Brady Oltman's wrote about, you know, is Matt rule still the coach 10 years from now? Um, I'm taking is, is Nebraska going to win a conference title in, in the next 10 years? And it's kind of hard to even hard to even guess because we don't know what the Big Ten is going to look like uh, ten years from now. Uh, we have an idea of what it will look like next year, but schedule, all that stuff. Like, what's it what's it take to win an eighteen team conference? Um, we've never we've never had to find out in any conference. You have to have divisions again, right, in order to win an eighteen team conference or even a greater number there. Because I was I was talking to Ravi yesterday and I said, you know, what number do you feel comfortable with at the Big Ten to be at if we do stay the way that we are right now with a Big Ten, an SEC, a Big Twelve? Like is the number twenty so that you can then circle divisions once again and do things geographically? Is it twenty four so you can do six across the board? What what does that number look like in your head, Bevokes? Um, well, it's not 18, um, 18 is kind of tough to do anything with because I thought that too, um, you know, the flex protect plus RIP, who knows if that'll, that'll come back, which was such an insane name to begin with. Um, but you, you just look at the, the map of the big 10 now it's like, yeah, well, okay. Maybe it makes sense to bring the divisions back, uh, with, with Oregon or Washington in the fold, but does that mean Nebraska is, I mean, they're the westernmost team until those those teams arrive. Do they do they get lumped in? Is Nebraska just going to be going to California or or the West Coast three times every fall, if if that becomes the division? So maybe if you added two more um, that were somewhere between Nebraska and and those West Coast teams, you could you could get away with it. It would become a little bit easier. But 
who are those teams? Colorado. It's not Colorado. It's not Utah mm-hmm. now. Um, so it's a it's a diff- difficult problem to to solve. But I do think okay, if you got to twenty, um, then you have two nine team divisions. You play eight games against your your division opponents. Well, it'd be nine games. Um, but then what do you do? Like, so does Nebraska never play, say, Ohio State or Michigan? It's it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's almost why you, you have to avoid divisions as you like once you get bigger. Unless you get um, smaller groups, unless you yep. get like four or five teams in a group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean and so then I, I won't do the math live on the air, but like say you wanted four four pods and then you could have like your own little mini playoff like you know pod winner one versus pod winner two three and four mm-hmm. um but what's that <laughs> that math shake out to um 20 i guess five team pods mm-hmm. um so yeah 18 <laughs> whatever it is it ain't 18 i guess that's all i know at this point. <laughs> uh brandon you mentioned the one of your uh you know predictions in the magazine of will they win a will nebraska win a conference title in the next 10 years i i that kind Don't of, ask him to spoil it. Well, now, I'm not going to. <laughs> I, I just want you to maybe talk about here because it piqued my interest. Moving to a 12-team playoff and moving to a, I don't know, let's say 10 years from now, the Big Ten has, what, 24 teams? Is that crazy? Um, is it easier to make the playoff than it would be to win the Big Ten at that point? Yeah. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. Um, even kind of like college it, basketball then, right? It, yeah, it is. Um, it, it'll be interesting if so does that make a conference title more valued or uh less valued is it all about the playoff because sure. it's going to be i think in a 12 team playoff era like the big 10 and the sec are always going to get two teams in and they're going to probably trade a little bit um they'll get they'll get a third team in maybe once every two years like so call it two and a half the big 10 is going to average two and a half playoff teams a year over a 10 year span or whatever. So by that virtue alone, it it becomes quote unquote easier. I mean, you still gotta be basically a top 15 team uh, to to make the playoff than it does to win the big 10 title. I mean, it it reminds me a lot of volleyball. Coach Cook has long said like, it's it's harder to win the big 10 than it is to win a national title Um, because there can only be, you know, I mean, there's only one national title winner, but the tournament field starts at, at 64 and it's just kind of the, the season long grind to do that. Um, so it gets, it gets interesting uh, when you start to think about conference titles and just Nebraska's drought, which there's, there's nine teams that have won 900 games all time. Um, I'm not done compiling the research, but so far I think Nebraska's current uh, conference conference title drought is, is the longest of those contemporaries. Brandon Vogel, we appreciate your time this morning, man. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. That is Brandon Vogel at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Ton of good thoughts in there with fall camp to kick things off and then conference realignment. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the last seven minutes of that interview because <laughs> there was so much in there. And when he mentioned the pod system and coming out of a pod, I'm like, oh, wow. As much as I thought about, like, you know, putting teams in yeah. divisions, I hadn't thought about a, hey, let's just, like, play the pods out and then have the pod winners play other pod winners and then get to yeah. a eventual champion. That's an interesting, like a that's big an interesting 
playoff, basically. Mm-hmm. That, Something like that. Like a conference yeah. tournament in, in basketball, right. essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that could be really interesting. Uh, before we move on, one more time, I'll tell you about In the Deed, the Glory Memorial Stadium, a great segue away from Brandon Vogel. Nebraska Public Media's newest local sports doc follows the evolution of the stadium. You get interviews with T.O., Eric Crouch, Trev Alberts, Mike Babcock, Damon Benning is the narrator. And remember, Memorial Stadium costs $450,000 to build. Yeah, it's worth a lot more nowadays, Robbie, <laughs> just so you know. You can catch that August 13th, 7 p.m. on Nebraska Public Media and Facebook Live. Okay, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with more Coffee and Cream.